Namaste and welcome to Vidurvaj podcast. As goes with our subject for this episode, there has been an intense debate on whether the Shungas were primarily responsible for the fall of Buddhism, especially post the demise of the Ashokan state of the Mauryan Empire. Unfortunately, rather than objectively looking at the empirical evidences and various other sources which are available in plenty, this whole question has been mired mired with fuelless politics and social context. and in the academy as well where the line has been drawn this is the ideologies so to shed the light and provide us with the objective view based on uh, studies and evidences we have with us today mr jayawardhan singh who is a research scholar and is associated with jn most most welcome jay thank you for coming thank you for inviting me So yeah you know as you see I have already spoken enough on this subject you know what little idea I have about this whole Shunga empire the fall of Buddhism post that uh, I mean post the fall of Mauryan empire not post that uh, so without further ado uh, let's start with your study on this critical subject on what the history basically says and uh, to start with let me start with first question what were the reasons uh, for the birth of the Shunga empire okay so i think uh, before you know talking about the shunga empire let's just uh, understand the uh, the historical background of this period and uh, also look at the sources which we presently have because you know particularly when we talk about ancient indian history there are uh, like sources are not very uh, not we do not have much sources for example compared to you know medieval and modern scholars so they have they have the luxury of you know choosing their sources because they have plenty of them but in in the indian case uh, in the ancient indian case there are not much uh, not many sources available so to give you an example uh, we all know about the mauryan empire and uh, one of the reasons why you know ashok is uh, is known to us and it is quite he is quite familiar is because of the fact that we have his edicts and, uh, and uh, one one you know surprising thing you know when when i first read about uh, the fact that you know after ashok historians are not sure who were the later mauryas later mauryas is basically the mauryan emperors who came after ashok so we do not have the chronologies of these later maurya rulers and there are you know great debates about in uh, in academia of who the next even the next king who succeeded uh, uh, mauryan emperor ashok we we are not very sure of we can only speculate right, so this is right. the you know this is the period which we are dealing with and in uh, and uh, particularly you know the post mauryan period post mauryan period is basically the period after the mauryas so the shunga uh, the shunga rulers come in the post mauryan period so the post mauryan period is also called the dark period of ancient indian history because you know the the kind of uh, evidence which we have is not uh, is not very much so to to give you an example you know in the case of ashok there are you know uh, like more than 20 inscriptions uh, uh, there are great inscriptions of king ashok and we can learn from these inscription about king ashok but when you move to the shunga empire there is only one inscription that is a one and a half line inscription from ayodhya that oh is written God. on a pedestal so oh uh, and God. that and that uh, 
that inscription does not talk about so it is not uh, you know written commissioned by pushyamit shunga so this inscription is called the inscription of dhana so dhana we are told is the sixth descendant of pushyamitra senapati pushyamitra okay okay so we know about pushyamitra from an inscription of the sixth descendant of pushyamitra so you know that is the kind of scarcity of sources which we are dealing with mm-hmm. now uh, apart from the inscriptional evidence which which is there is only one we have uh, the puranas so from the puranas we learn about uh, about the chronology of these uh, these shunga emperors and we also learn about the uh, about the dating so uh, so so the so from the you know analyzing the puranas scholars believe that it was around 184 so there are some dates in which 185 bc is written and there are other history books where you will find that the date 187 is mentioned so whatever the case may be so around this time pushyamitra shunga who was the senapati of brihadrath the last mauryan emperor he you know assassinates this mauryan emperor and he becomes the next king now interestingly uh, this exam uh, this uh, uh, this information that he assassinated the last mauryan emperor it is only mentioned in puranas and in banas harsharitra so banas harsharitra is a biography of the famous ancient indian king harshvardhan so ban talks about uh, harsh harsharit uh, so ban talks about the fact that you know pushmitra shunga assassinated Uh, brihadrat then okay. we have puranas so not all the puranas so there are you know basically four puranas which uh, which provide us historical chronologies so these are matsya vayu bhavishya and brahmand purana so these are the you know four puranas from and up and also from banas uh, harsharit that okay. we learn uh, that pushyamitra shunga assassinated brihadrat so the buddhist sources do, do not mention this detail Okay. Okay. That is the, this is, is interesting, and also like, uh, do do we find as to why uh, Pushyamitra has to assassinate uh, the last em- last Mauryan emperor? Like, uh, do we find anything about the political situation that time? Of course, we know that after Ashok, uh, the the state was uh, you know uh, getting diluted. I mean, getting uh, segregated into different like rebellions cropping up here and there. uh post ashoka and uh i believe that when uh when it when it comes to priyadath uh, uh it was in a dire situation the whole state so do uh wanas provide any sort of evidence as to uh, what was the political situation and what i mean why pushyamitra took this particular uh, serious step as to assassinate his own king no uh, the puranas do not provide us any information we can only speculate and even okay. the fact that you know the mauryan empire empire was on the decline mm-hmm. so there is this you know uh, there are two three theories of how why this decline happened so on the one hand you have some scholars who argue that because of the pacifist tendency of ashok he did not focus on his military affairs and that is why you know the mauryan empire declined then there is this another theory which argues that uh, after ashok the, the, there was there were there was if uh, you know division of the empire so mm-hmm. one half uh, the western half was controlled by the son of ashok and the eastern half was controlled by a grandson of ashok 
so okay. although you know these are the these are theories we cannot uh, because of the limited evidence it is hard for us to prove which yeah. theory is so in my view uh, if i have to spe- speculate so i believe that you know this is the this is also the period particularly so uh, the date is roughly around 180 bc to 1 uh, 190 bc to 180 bc so uh, this is the basically the close of uh, around the start of second century bc so this is the period which we are dealing with and what happens is that during this time in the northwest the indo greeks uh, they were also called you know the bactrian greeks now yeah. they have uh, uh, i will not go into the detail about you know th- there is also a debate about who was the first uh, indo greek king who invaded india or uh, okay. most scholars believe that he was demetrius so oh. it was during the reign of the bactrian indo uh, greco bactrian king demetrius that he con- he you know crosses the hindu kush mountain and penetrates in the northwestern part of indian subcontinent okay now this was the region which was under the control of uh, the mauryas because we have uh, we have ashokan inscriptions from this region which suggest that you know this was uh, this region was part of the mauryan empire mm. so i would like to believe that uh, because of the fact that you know northwestern india which was part of the mauryan empire was uh, this king brihadrath was not able to you know uh, to control the invasion of the indo greeks and he allowed the indo greeks to uh, to conquer this region there was this dissatisfaction among the among the masses and also among the ministers of king ashok uh, king brihadra and uh, pushyamitra shunga being uh, being a i think an ambitious uh, person he he thought that he he could he could better challenge the indo greeks so we are told that you know uh, so basically he assassinated this uh, this modern king that's that is my speculation but i would say that you know uh, this is just speculation there is no way for us to prove what really happened no true that uh, i i sometimes uh, i don't know whether it is whether it is true only in indian context uh, but when we see uh, when we see our ancient history the the epigraphical evidence or you can say the empirical evidence is very very less uh, as as you rightly said as compared to you know medieval uh, 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 medieval times and somehow uh, i don't know i i think the old traditions were so were far greater than the you know uh, uh, writing traditions as to record the history uh, because whatever uh, Like for example, let's say Upanishads or Puranas, it it all passed on from the oral tradition. If I'm not wrong, you can absolutely correct me with this. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of a bane for us. But uh, do you think this was this this is also true for the ancient Greek or ancient Roman emp- empires, like you know the other ancient empires which were there, like Egyptian? Uh, uh, what, what's your view on this? Just just no, a, I, I just a simple view. Yes. Uh... particularly you know uh, um, for the, like in in ma we have this question now there is this whole you know unit which you have to study and uh, this the, the the topic of this uh, whole unit used to be uh, did ancient indians have a historic sense so you know scholars even uh, like uh, in, uh, english scholars so imperialist 
historians who wrote on indian history they they viewed that indians particularly ancient indian did not have a uh, sense of history and that is why they did not write any historical records and interestingly you know uh, like uh, rc majumdar who uh, most people admire and i also admire him because he was a great scholar and he also had this view that you know there was uh, if you compare what kind of evidence which we have from let's say the classical period in western history so from the uh, uh, from the classical antiquity so we have a, uh, greek uh, greek uh, histories and then we have roman uh, roman records so yeah. the kind of detail which is present in these records is you know uh if we compare them to the indian records it, it is minuscule like the you would be like you know we all talk about the battle of uh, king porus porus and alexander yeah now in the indian records uh, king porus is not mentioned <laughs> there is you know there is little mention of uh, the fact that uh, there is the i i personally have not read uh, banas harsharit but yeah. we uh, i have read somewhere that it mentions uh, alexander so a 6th 7th century text mentions alexander but the contemporary text of ancient india that were written during the time of uh, alexander's invasion they do not mention uh, any uh, you know alexander invading india so this is a very peculiar situation which we find ourselves in but i do think that you know uh, for, uh, particularly when we talk about epigraphical evidence like uh, i personally you know i was re- really surprised that if we have to you know uh, plot the different evidence which we have i think and uh, i would say i w- i am right that 80% of these evidence were discovered before independence oh Or, that is true. i think that is true so so you know uh, after independence the kind of archaeological work which we we should have done we haven't done that yeah, and uh, i would say that you know there are great historical records both in terms of epigraphical records and also in terms of manuscripts that are you know le- uh, are just lying untranslated so yeah. from these uh, you know uh, like uh, like arthashastra arthashastra yeah. before 1905 when uh, k shama shastre in uh, in uh, mysore if i'm not wrong so yeah, in mysore library he discovered he discovered he discovered the the arthashastra before the, before the, him it was it was believed that you know arthashastra was lost mm-hmm. so same could be you know there were there are great number of plays uh, other men like if you read arthashastra he talks about he you know mentions different thinkers who had preceded him that had particular view of how you know uh, how uh, the state craft the view their view on a state craft so their work could could we could find their work in in you know these untranslated manuscripts so i i i personally believe that uh, maybe we could find great uh, you know un, new evidence which we presently do not have but there is this there is still the question of uh, whether ancient indians had a sense of uh, history or not and and i particularly i uh, although I, i my view could change in future i i don't know but right now i have this belief that uh, rc majumdar may be right because the kind of source which we have this does not 
really reflect a historical understanding and that is that is my frankly okay no i totally understand i mean uh, when we when we compare it with the classical uh, history of western uh, of, of the west and the way they have recorded each and everything or each and every emperors in like you know, for example let's let's talk talk about roman emperors uh, we have minute not minute but we have every details about how they were how the kingdoms were and we have also i mean they they also made sure that they they have the statues and bust of each and every emperor preserved and you know somehow they they were able to maintain that so to that i absolutely agree with you so okay continuing with this topic of regarding the fall of buddhism uh, you know uh, and the rise of shungas so is it true that you know shungas were instrumental in 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 kind of in the decline of uh, uh, buddhism or like you know uh, sometimes sometimes there is this uh, you can say allegation which is made on shunga empire as to not be committed some genocide on the buddhists as well uh, so uh, how do you what what history says us? you know what evidence is saying this? is this true or is it just again uh, a pure speculation uh, for uh, for some reasons so uh, i think let's begin with uh, one of the you know uh, colonial historians vs smith so vincent vincent s smith wrote a book on ancient indian history and there is this uh, uh, you know one passage about pushyamitra sunga and his persecution of buddhism so i will quote and i quote pushyamitra was not content with peaceful revival of hindu 17 rites but indulged in savage persecution of buddhism burning monasteries and slaying monks from magadh to jalandhar in the punjab so you know this is what uh, vs smith wrote now uh, one way uh, first of all let's uh, you know just uh, analyze his statement so first he talks about uh, peaceful revival of hindu 17 rites now uh, historians Uh, believe that he there was this brahmanical revival that happened during the reign of pushyamitra shunga yeah. because of major uh, mainly because of two evidence so first as i have you know at the start talked uh, talked about the fact that this uh, inscription of dhana so this inscription which is a, which is situated in ayodhya it talks about uh, the fact that uh, king uh, so Uh, this inscription uh, you know interestingly does not mention pushyamitra shunga as king okay. it talks about senapati pushyamitra okay so okay. so senapati pushyamitra uh, he performed ashwamedh sacrifice twice so this okay. is what uh, this inscription says and then there is this uh, you know from uh, patanjali's mahabhashya so patanjali we believe uh, um, like scholars believe that he existed around the same time of pushyamitra shunga and the reason for this is a one statement that comes from patanjali's mahabhashya and this here you know uh, uh, the, the, in this particular statement patanjali is talking about uh, the present tense so he gives an example and he he the example he gives is a sentence in sanskrit which goes like this pushyamitram yajyamah which basically means that here we are performing the sacrifice of pushyamitra so you know okay. because of the fact that uh, 
patanjali is uh, is you know providing an example in which a continuous present tense is used hmm. and it talks about pushyamitra performing a sacrifice sacrifice so so these two evidence historians have used to argue that uh, it was during the reign of pushyamitra shunga that there was a brahmanical revival and it is also the fact that you know uh, pushyamitra shunga was a brahmin according hmm. to the puranas Okay. so all of these uh, evidence which we you know put together uh, it could be argued that it was uh, in his reign there was a brahmanical revival now you have to this this uh, now one question arises is that uh, if we are to believe that uh, during the reign of pushyamitra shunga there was a brahmanical revival that would mean that before pushyamitra shunga brahmini uh, uh, the brahmani brahmanism was you know not prevalent mm-hmm. you know there yeah. were other non brahmanical tradition yeah, like brahman. the jivikas buddhism yeah. that were prevalent now frankly if we look at the mauryan rulers so we have chandragupta maurya the founder of the mauryan empire right. who according to the jain tradition he was a jain and uh, he later became jain that is what right. the what yeah. the story goes Right. Bindusar according to you know the buddhist sources we believe that he was uh, he was inclined towards the ajivika tradition ajivika oh, so and and uh, ashok we all know was a you know devout buddhist now after ashok the you know the the story becomes quite uh, 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 quite interesting because we do not know much about the later modern rulers we right. have only a we have only a inscription in which the uh, a king is mentioned and the king is dasharath and uh, we believe that he was a mauryan emperor because firstly he uses the same title which ashok used so devanam piya piyadasi is the title which is uh, which is used for uh, for ashok so yeah. devanam piya devanam piya is basically the you know prakrit version of uh, beloved of the gods gods yeah devanam priya so devanam priya is also devanam piya is also used by dasharath and also we find that the brahmi which is used in this inscription of dasharath is quite similar to the brahmi of ashok so from this we can you know uh, it it is generally argued that dasharath was also a modern emperor who came mm-hmm. after ashok now this inscription tells us uh, it is a donative inscription so basically it talks about the fact that dasharath is donating these caves to ajivika monks for the ajivika monks okay so from this uh, we could argue that uh, dasharath was uh, was patronizing ajivikas now now you know it is true that he is patronizing uh, ajivikas because he is donating a cave to the ajivika monks yeah but uh, there is no you know uh, no evidence to suggest that he was not uh, you know patronizing uh, other like uh, uh, vedic vedic ritual uh, yeah. vedic practices because okay. uh, there was this tradition in ancient india you have uh, you have buddhist uh, uh, you have gupta emperors who you know who claim to be worshipper of uh, B- B- bhagwan vishnu and they also patronize uh, buddhists so there was this there is this tradition in ancient india where kings do not you know they could uh, favor a particular 
tradition but that does not mean that you know they were persecuting other traditions so one way to uh, one way to view this question of brahmanical revival would in my view would be to challenge the fact that you know before pushyamitra shunga there was uh, brahmin uh, brahmanism or uh, vedic hinduism was uh, not prevalent in the modern court hmm so uh, i would suggest that uh, yeah 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 please continue now you know uh, like uh, like uh, then some some would say that uh, ashok talks talks about the fact that he has uh, put prohibition on animal sacrifice so this suggest that uh, during his uh, during his reign uh, vedic practices were not being followed or he put pro- prohibition on them so it it could be said that you know maybe he was not uh, not very much inclined uh in this aspect but could this also be said of the later mauryans who came after ashok mm-hmm. so we frankly do not have an evidence to suggest that you know there was this uh, ban on uh, uh, killing of uh, animals that existed during the reign of uh, ashok uh, this ban also continued after ashok right so so, so you know so uh, my my small view on this is that you know like kings are also politicians uh right and politicians usually uh to maintain their hegemony or you can say king kings to maintain their hegemony and if they have people who belong to who belong to you know uh, different tribes or different cultures different school of thoughts or different traditions of course uh, unless and until they have a hatred for a particular section of people or a tradition uh otherwise they usually patronize all you know if they can if there and if there is no kind of you know uh uh you can say a danger to his politics or danger to his kingdom uh while patronizing a particular uh you know uh, a culture so i uh i think i and like today also you see you know how how current politicians do try to kind of uh, take along every section of the society even if even if uh one section of society is totally you know uh, antithetical to the thoughts of, of a particular other section of society uh so i couldn't agree with you that uh it cannot be it cannot be this simple as to where some historians or you know some uh, some people suggest that no uh, the, the vedic hindu the vedic religion was totally you know uh, outcast by by the mauryans and uh, later on when they declined uh, uh, it, it gained the prominence and the buddhism declined uh, as such so uh, i i totally you know agree with your view on this and i also uh, and also while looking at the character like how a particular politician politician will behave because again the kings are also politicians of course they have their duties Uh, uh you know far more duties than an average politician would have in current times uh but yes i i do feel that you no know, they were patronizing each and every section of the society which they felt was right and was a duty as they think so uh you know uh and, and so now we know that you know we know about shungas uh is is it really true that only shungas were the factor for the fall of buddhism or there are other factors as well as to how suddenly you know buddhism uh fell in india 
but you know somehow it flourished uh, uh, outside so i think uh, you know f- first we have we have already analyzed how this notion of brahmanical revival itself uh, you know does not necessarily hold any ground then yeah. i think this uh, whole uh, whole question of pushyamitra uh, shunga uh, persecuting buddhism buddhists uh, so what we see is that uh, historians uh, so those who argue that there was this persecution of buddhism and buddhist that happened during the reign of pushyamitra uh, shunga they use primarily three buddhist sources so you know the first source which we have is divyavadan then second we have manjushri moolkalp and then there is this tibetan uh, uh, text called tarnath history of buddhism so these are mainly the three uh, sources which uh, historians use to argue some historians use to argue that uh, pushyamitra shunga persecuted buddhism so i think let's we we can analyze these you know three sources and uh, there are some problems within these sources when they talk about this persecution of buddhism so first you know we have this uh, whole uh, this divyavadan so divyavadan is a sanskrit text that dates to around 2nd century ad so 2nd century ad would would mean that this was written around 300 years later after pushyamitra shunga so this is not a contemporary text first okay, okay. second second what we talk about uh, what we see is that here pushyamitra is mentioned and we we are told that you know he he wanted to end buddhism and he went with a large army to the buddhist monastery of kukku uh, kukkutram So Kukkutaram is a Buddhist monastery according in the Buddhist tradition which was built by Ashok and it was situated south east of Patliputra and it housed around 1000 Buddhist monks so you know the the story which is present in Divyavadan is that uh, Pushyamitra Shunga goes to uh, you know sack this monastery but when he you know arrives there he hears a roar of a lion okay and that that scares him so he went uh, so he does not uh, you know sack the monastery and he, and he goes back then uh, he then goes in the north in sakala sakala there is this debate but uh, we can say that this is the region around sialkot and jammu region so okay. there was this city of sakala okay. so there he goes and sack uh, uh, he then when he goes to sakala he issues a order that he will give 1000 gold coins to anyone who will provide him a head of a buddhist bhikshu okay understood so uh, so you know then this divyavadan goes on to tell us that after this uh, announcement the whole uh, the whole uh, persecution of buddhism began now uh, this is the story which is present in divyavadan right. but interestingly divyavadan divyavadan tells us that pushyamitra is a maurya oh okay <laughs> so you know which you know uh, which is quite uh, we, we we all know that pushyamitra shunga was not a maurya so yeah. so so there is this problem then another problem which we find with pushyamitra shunga which this uh, this description of pushyamitra is that whenever uh, pushyamitra shunga is mentioned in let's say puranas in banas harsh charitra and and the uh, the play of kalidas malvika mm. agnimitram okay so in all of these sources uh, he is described as senapati okay. and uh, 
एंड वी हैव ऑल ऑल्सो सीन दैट यू नो इन द इंस्क्रिप्शन ऑफ ऑफ फ्रॉम अयोध्या सेनापति सेनियर इज मैंशन सो दिस so this aspect of senapati or seniya so this title of senapati was always used alongside pushyamitra hmm. but here uh, in the description of divya vagdan firstly this uh, this text is not contemporary secondly uh, you know he uh, the, this text tells us that pushyamitra was a maurya and finally the whole epithet of seniya is not mentioned alongside pushyamitra raises the doubt about the whole story of divyavadan hmm. so you know so this is the problem with this first buddhist source then the second source which we have is a text called manjushri moolakal okay so manjushri moolakal kalp is a text that was written between the period of 6th century ad to 8th century ad so Uh, around you know 800 to uh, a millennium later after yeah. shunga so this Correct. is also not a contemporary text right and uh, here pushyamitra is not mentioned but there is this uh, king named gomi mukhya so okay. this king gomi mukhya we are told you know he destroyed great numbers of viharas and he also persecuted buddhists now uh, uh, so uh, uh, interestingly you know the end of this king gomi mukhya according to this text is quite interesting okay. so uh, this text tells us that he died uh, alongside in the north along uh, alongside his family and his officers when a man got angry and he you know uh, and he attacked he attacked this whole group with a block of stone Okay. So quite this is a, the weird story. Yeah, I mean, quite an unceremonious uh, way for a king to go. I mean, for any any leader to go, actually. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, okay. So I think yeah. uh, so. You know, uh, this Gomi Mukhya. So uh, so uh, scholars have tried to uh, to uh, to you know find who this Gomi Mukhya is because we do not have any other reference of who this Gomi Mukhya was. So right. K P Jaiswal. is a great ancient indian historian who wrote a famous book called hindu polity so he has argued that this gomi mukhya is pushyamitra shunga okay okay so you know uh, so from this uh, uh, whole association of gomi mukhya to push to pushyamitra shunga scholars have used this uh, evidence to suggest that you know here since gomi mukhya is pushyamitra shunga and uh, this text tells us that gomi mukhya persecuted buddhist and destroyed viharas this means that uh, 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 pushyamitra shunga persecuted buddhist because pushyamitra shunga is gomi mukhya yeah yeah now the problem with this uh, whole assertion is firstly is that when you read manjushri moolakalp you will find that there are reference of king like bimbisar chandragupta bindusar ashok so all of these kings are mentioned by name hmm. so the fact that these kings are mentioned by name but when it comes to pushyamitra shunga this text uses this uh, this whole new terminology gomi mukhya would not does not does not make any sense because if like there was no threat to the writer of manjushri moolakalp that if he would name uh, pushyamitra shunga he would get killed because the text was written some 800 years after pushyamitra shunga so there was no compulsion to you know to uh, to use a pseudonym for pushyamitra 
but right. the fact that you know there is this name called gomimukhi which is mentioned is uh, suggest that uh, you know this whole uh, uh, connection between pushyamitra shunga and gomimukhi does not hold any ground then what we also see is that the text also is uh, has confused the chronologies so for example ashok we all know came after the nanda kings chandragupta and uh, bindusar so we all know that but in this text ashok is placed before bindusar before chandragupta and before even the nanda kings <laughs> okay so, okay so you know the text itself is uh, has you know the chronology is quite confused quite confused yeah. so th- this is the problem with this second text then the last text is a text or uh, is, is a tibetan text from a, a buddhist monk called tarnath so this text is basically you know uh, it it talks about the fact it or it mentions uh, the king pushyamitra and you know before pushyamitra the names of uh, the kings that preceded so it talks about the fact that you know pushyamitra was the minister of a king and he replaced this king so this yeah. is mentioned in tarnath's history oh. but before pushyamitra the name of the king is ashok chandra and after ashok chandra we have jay chandra after jay chandra we have neem chandra so these are the kings like we all know that you know there these kings apart from ashok, ashok there yeah. were no such names as jay chandra and even ashok is called jay ashok chandra okay uh, okay so they they so, i mean I, i guess they they must be speaking about some other kings most probably because so you know <laughs> and interestingly uh, after this we are told that you know when pushyamitra became king there was this invasion from the north and this was the invasion of the heretics and the name of the heretics in uh, in this tarnath's history yeah. is some, is a group called tirthikas okay so these so these tirthikas persecuted buddhism uh, buddhists and they burnt uh, you know a great number of bhikshus so it was not pushyamitra it was these tirthakas who invaded and they burned temples and they persecuted buddhist monks and we are you know uh, uh, so so here you know pushyamitra is not persecuting buddhists yeah yeah it is tirthakas who are doing that the invaders so so, so you know uh, these uh, these three uh, so the analysis of these three sources tell us that the whole uh, assertion that you know there was this uh, persecution of buddhist buddhism buddhist in during the reign of pushyamitra does not hold any, any ground now we there is there are also counter arguments we, mm. which where we can also argue that during the reign of pushyamitra shunga there was no such great uh, no such persecution so first we have a text called milind panna okay. milind panna is a buddhist text that was written so this is a commentary uh, this is uh, milind panna basically means questions of milind okay okay so milind milind is is a famous uh, buddhist uh, is famous indo greek king menander so okay. he he is asking questions to uh, to a buddhist monk named nagasin so this this whole conversation between these two you know individuals is mentioned in this in this text and here in this text you uh, we we find so this text so the period of menander and the period of pushyamitra shunga is roughly the same okay okay, okay. okay. so 
and in this text this text described that you know in the region of magadh mm-hmm. you know uh, and even in patliputra there were great buddhist monasteries there okay. were buddhist monks that were living in these monasteries mm-hmm. now the fact that pushyamitra shunga if pushyamitra shunga was persecuting buddhists then this text would not have meant so, uh, and and also one important point is that this is a contemporary text these other three texts which we have mentioned were not contemporary texts right they are, they are written and, later later uh, post shunga period basically yes uh, and this text tells us uh, this is a contemporary text and this talks about the fact that buddhism and buddhist monasteries were flourishing in magadh hmm. so suppose Pushyamitra Shunga was persecuting Buddhists, Buddhists, and he was he was destroying monasteries. So this text would not have mentioned this. He would have this. The, the, it would have to, you know mentioned that there was this great persecution of Buddhists that was going on in Magadh. Right, right, absolutely. Then uh, you know what we also find is that there is a fifth century Pali text Mahavams. So this is a you know quite a great text in the in the Sri Lankan tradi- Buddhist tradition. okay and okay. Uh, this text tells us the same thing so it talks about uh, that during the time of duttagamani so duttagamani is a uh, of sri lanka so this is the same period of roughly the same period of pushyamitra shunga so at the time of duttagamani the region of magadh and in the region of magadh buddhist monasteries were flourishing oh so you know uh, here again the same story repeats like uh, this is a pali text that was written in sri lanka so if this 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 persecution of buddhist that uh, that had happened it would have mentioned that but here you know we get a rather different story right Then, so so you know uh, sorry to interject so is, is this particular pali text is also like contemporary uh, no this is a 5th century of... text okay this is a 5th century okay so so you know i have i have given example of a com- contemporary text and mm. also a 5th century text that provides us a rather different story. Rather and different both view. of right. these texts right and both of these texts are buddhist texts they are not uh, you know puranic text mm. and interestingly you know uh, if, if when we look at the puranic sources or even in bana's harsh charitra or malvika agnimitram of kalidas there is no mention of you know pushyamitra shunga was persecuting buddhists mm-hmm. right so the whole question of uh, then then you know uh, then you know let's suppose uh, suppose pers- uh, uh, pushyamitra shunga was persecuting buddhist and he was a great enemy of buddhism yeah. so if we if we believe that we know that you know during the time of pushyamitra shunga before pushyamitra shunga ashok has commissioned these great pillars these enormous right. pillars right. that were present in patliputra in koshambi in vaishali in uh, so in, in different parts of maga uh, in in uh, different parts of mauryan empire so one way would to argue would be to you know he would have destroyed the, uh, the this pillar at uh, at uh, partly partly putra in koshambi oh, he yeah. was a you know because anti, you know anti buddhist uh, right, right right because because you know uh, to give you an a, a, a different example uh, you have during the reign of uh, aurangzeb uh, 
औरंगजेब डिड सम यू नो देर वर सम क्रिश्चियन इमेजिनरीज दैट वर यूज इन द टूम्ब ऑफ अकबर ओके सो ही औरंगजेब डिड नॉट लाइक दिस राइट and he you know uh, you know removed these christian imaginaries that were present in the uh, in the tomb of uh, akbar mm-hmm. so let's say you know uh, this uh, this pushmitra shunga was a you know previous incarnation of uh, uh, <laughs> aurangzeb uh, and <laughs> just like you know aurangzeb was persecuting hindus yeah. he was persecuting buddhists so mm. uh, he would have done the same thing to ashok because ashok was you know great patron of buddhism right. so in order to destroy buddhism one 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 way one great way was to destroy the monuments of ashok that were that were commemorating buddhists right right and that to all over the, is, all over the country all over the so, all over the subcontinent and these were you know prominent pillars yeah. that were present uh, you know that 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 uh, occupied a special place so it was quite easy for pushmitra shunga to locate these pillars and destroy them but he did not he didn't do that right 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 i totally totally agree with uh, with you on this uh, so uh, of course uh, the uh, the evidences which you shared with us uh, actually it kind of proves that the argument that Shunga was responsible for the persecution of Buddhists. Does not hold ground. Uh, again, only on the basis of uh, evidence which the history provides us. Now, uh, let's come out of this whole uh, Shunga thing, you know, <laughs> which we're discussing now. What were the real reasons behind the fall of Buddhism? You know, as I know, I, I'm just again you know, repeating my earlier question. Uh, uh, what were the real reasons apart from the Shunga factor, you know, which we discussed? what were the other factors that somehow suddenly the buddhism fell and it grows outside uh, the indian borders the contemporary indian borders of those times i think uh, firstly during the shunga period i think uh, the you know these three uh, buddhist sources that talks about uh, pushmitra shunga persecuting buddhists so i do believe that during the reign of pushmitra shunga or during the uh, during his reign particularly the kind of uh, you know uh, prominent place that was enjoyed by buddhist buddhism uh, he did not patronized we can assume uh, right, like right. if you yeah. if you have to you know provide like like one question which could, which could be asked is so suppose you know there was no persecution of buddhism so why does these uh, you know buddhist sources are talking about uh, pushyamitra and they are associating the fact that there was this persecution so mm-hmm. one way would uh, to argue this would be to uh, would be to say that the prominence of buddhism that wa- was there during the mauryan reign may may not have been the same during the reign of pushyamitra Pushy- now you know the whole question you know then then it becomes quite complicated but to come back to your question hmm. so firstly this decline of buddhism we do not see the decline of buddhism as late as the later gupta period okay okay so because uh, you know uh, like uh, this is the period uh, we have uh, particularly uh, there is no like uh, gupta emperors uh, and uh, 
before the gupta emperors uh, buddhist uh, buddhism was flourishing in the whole uh, whole indian subcontinent and the main reason of uh, the, the expansion of buddhism across uh, across the you know eurasian mass particularly yeah. so firstly you have sri lanka so sri lanka there is this whole buddhist tradition that in which we are told that the son and daughter of ashok they went and proselytized the uh, the buddha uh, the king in ceylon sri lanka right 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 so it was during uh, during the reign of pushyamit uh, during the reign of ashok in in the in the you know uh, in the pali uh, pali tradition where we are told that buddhism uh, in, was introduced in sri lanka sri lanka right then if you look at central asia and china so for that you have to you know first view buddhism in india in the context context of the fact that buddhism when we you know look at the inscriptions from the different stupas we find that buddhism particularly now uh, was patronized by the by the trading classes so Uh, you know the, there are terms like sethi sethi is you know uh, a, a, this this later became became the you know uh, this uh, surname which is sethi sethi yeah yeah right prominent in so, punjab so, uh, i mean in the punjabi uh, culture basically so this term you know sethi vanjikas so these were the traders uh, so this is not here is it is not used as a surname it is used as a group as a group so, right right so these uh, what we learn from the different inscriptions is that particularly within the trading uh, community trading classes buddhism became quite important and that is why you know uh, if you look at inscriptions we will find that you know these uh, uh so uh, so i think uh, this happens even today where you know when we when you uh, uh, go to some temples you will find that uh, uh, there is there is this uh, a small plaque that will be there which which uh, where it will be told that it, uh, that this person uh, who like i think if um, one example would be to for those of you who have who has uh, who have gone to the the golden temple there yeah. around the around the you know the main uh, uh, where parikrama happens yeah. so you will find that plaque plaques uh, plaque where we are told that you know this uh, this uh, this part of the building was constructed by this person who mm. and uh, whose uh, whose occupation is also mentioned so this also happened in the in in ancient times okay yeah so from from there from the, from the so these are called donative inscriptions so from these donative inscriptions we can learn who was this person who was patronizing the construction of the stoop right so and what we find is that most of the time it is the trading class people who belong to the trading class that were you know uh, that were that were donating uh, to the construction of these stoops and also what we find is that <clears throat> in most cases there are also monks and uh, you know uh, nuns who are donating which 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 is quite uh, contrary to the popular belief where we are told that you know monks and nuns 
do not did not had and did not have any uh, you know material possessions so and and the fact that you know there was this money which they could donate suggest that they also came from a affluent background which most likely was also belong to the trading classes so right. uh, so the base so the whole story so the, so to, you know to sum up the whole story it was the trading classes that in uh, where we find that buddhism has you know taken deep roots hmm. now what happens during after the mauryas particularly during the reign of kushan uh, during the rule of kushanas okay. is that the kushanas have conquered large parts of northern india and mm-hmm. also they have conquered large parts of central asia right right so right. what uh, so basically what happened is that the uh, the region of northern india is now connected to the region of central, central asia. asia and mm. and there is a single uh, you know empire that is ruling this vast region right and this this allows the you know uh, the movement of indian traders indian traditions into this region in in the central asian region now it is true that you know before even before uh, before the kushanas there was the pres- presence of buddhism in northwest but the great the more the major boost to spread of buddhism happened during the reign of Uh, uh, during the reign of kushan rulers and uh, there is this tradition in chinese buddhist text where we are told that the famous kushan emperor kanishk he you know in 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 kashmir he you know uh, he organized a buddhist council and this was the buddhist council that led to the formation of the the you know mahayana tradition the great oh. vehicle so that is why we find that you know uh, now some scholars debate the fact that there was this uh, so the, the whole question of whether kanishk was a patron of buddhism is a self question yeah yeah because because only uh, like less than 1% of kanishka's coin have uh, buddhist iconography hmm so that raises the raises the doubt whether there was uh, whether kanishka was a great patron of buddhists or not but even if he was not a great great patron of buddhism uh, buddhism what we can say is that the the spread of buddhism happened during the reign of kushan empire and particularly it is the mahayana school that spread and that is why we see that you know uh, the the tradition that is pra- the buddhist tradition that is pra- practiced in sri lanka is not the mahayana tradition it is mm. called you know uh, it, uh, there is this terminology con heel heenian heenian basically the lesser vehicle so okay. uh, you know but but uh, but uh, the, the the sri lankan buddhist do not uh, do not like to be called uh, the practice of heenian so so they, they, they so the another 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 terminology is the theravada tradition okay okay makes sense so, makes sense mahayana spread under the influence of kushanas in the region of uh, central asia and from central asia it, it went on to uh, china and uh, you know uh, so basically what we see is that this period let's say second century ad to sixth century ad this is the period where what we find is that buddhist uh, buddhist monks from india they are going to central asia they are going to you know as far as uh, there is this uh, 
story of uh, buddhist monk from uh, uh, from india that traveled to china so th- there were many buddhist many. monk that traveled to china and for example you know the famous uh, chinese uh, traveler huen sang yeah he came to india because he wanted uh, to have manuscripts of buddhist uh, buddhist text so he wanted original manuscripts in sanskrit and that is why you know what we find is that uh, uh, some of the sans- sanskrit texts that are present in china uh, are uh, you know th- they are the only surviving text because the original text that were present in india are now lost are now lost right so basically this whole expansion happened from the period of uh, let's say the start of the co- uh, the common era to around 6 uh, 4th or 6th uh, around 4th or 6th century so it was only around the time of uh, like harsh so harsh is also you know he also supported buddhism uh, buddhism yeah, so yeah, only did. after harsh we find that there is this decline of buddhism that has uh, that is happening and even uh, but what we find is that particularly in eastern india and in northwestern india hmm. buddhism survived up to the uh, let's say 10th century because i think most of us uh, you know uh, we do not uh, remember that the arabs had conquered the region of sindh in the 7th century Right. But the region of Kabul hmm. was conquered only in the 10th century AD. Okay. So and most likely uh, this was this so they were practicing. Uh, so there were also Buddhists and there were also uh, you know uh, pagan tradition, which I, I I would say that you know they were close to the Hindu tradition and 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 even. Uh, during the time like in kalhans raj tarangani raj tarangani is a text that talks about the kings of kashmir okay ha, so, yes 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 so you know there is this uh, so uh, so i i will come back to my previous point before you know talking about kashmir so first we have in northwest buddhism is being practiced as late as 9th or 10th century and in eastern india it is being practiced as late as 13th century so uh, you know uh, there is this uh, the pal the pal uh, kings of uh, the pal kings of bengal mm. they were great great patrons of buddhist buddhism and particularly the form which is which we call as vajrayan mm. so there are there are these three vehicles first is mahayan mahayan is the you know the tradition that uh, that is spread in central asia and china yeah. then there is this heenyan which is also called theravada tradition that spread in uh, parts of myanmar and in uh, sri lanka sri lanka then we have the vajrayan so vajrayan spread in tibet okay and what we find is that as late as 13th century uh, so this is the period you know when uh, northern india large portions of northern india have come under the uh, uh, come under the uh, you know rulership of the delhi sultanate right. so there we have a you know there is this text so what happened is that since you know this uh, bengal region was contr- was the center of vajrayan tradition so what used to happen was that monks from uh, monks from tibet used to come to this region and also you know uh, uh, 
up uh, from uh, bengal and also bihar was the center of uh, the buddhist vajrayana tradition so though ye, they uh, these buddhist uh, these tibetan monks used to come to india to learn about vajrayana tradition and one of the most prominent place of vajrayana tradition was the uh, buddhist monastery of vikramshila so vikramshila oh. was the famous monastery that was destroyed by bakhtiyar khilji bakhtiyar khilji yeah and you know there is this interesting uh, interesting uh, point which i think i would like to mention so we have all talked about tarnath's buddhist history of buddhism yeah so in tarnath's buddhist uh, history of buddhism we are told that the pala king performed a great sacrifice mm. and this sacrifice involved a uh, this was a human sacrifice oh my goodness <laughs> and this human according to tarnath was a turushka basically okay. a turk oh yeah turush usually is a foot uh, used as a reference to tur- turks now <laughs> now what what uh, what is interesting about uh, this reference is that so this happened in vikramshila yeah okay now what we find is that uh, when bakhtiyar khilji sacked uh, Vikramshila. So apart from Vik- Vikramshila, he also sacked Nalanda. Nalanda, yeah. But the destruction that happened in Nalanda, and the destruction is that happened in Vikramshila is quite different. So Nalanda, there is not much, you know, we the, the destruction happened, but the intensity of destruction that uh, you know was uh, inflicted on Vikramshila. was quite great and uh, 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 my supervisor has worked on vikramshila so he okay. talks about that there are feet uh, there are two three feet of you know ash so they you can see the layer of ash okay that is present in the oh. archaeolo- in, in archaeological survey so this was the kind of uh, destruction that happened so you know we could speculate and this is quite a interesting speculation <laughs> that most likely these turks had remembered that there was the these human sacrifice that used to happen in vikramshila mm-hmm. and uh, this was the memory that had you know that was present during the time of bakhtiyar khilji and because of this vikramshila was especially you know thoroughly sacked Hmm. Totally right. I mean, at least in for Nalanda, we have the foundations and some of the buildings, you know, uh, 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 survived basically the onslaught of Bhaktiyar Khilji. But yeah, Vikram Shila, we really don't know. I mean, till now, I have not seen no, any any the, kind of pictures on 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 Vikram Shila or its remains. No, no, Vikram Shila. Uh, Vikram, there are foundations that are available, but when you compare that, uh, because. Uh, after sacking sacking of uh, nalanda nalanda continued after some time also so it okay. was not that you know immediately after this sacking it was abandoned but vikramshila was abandoned because it was thoroughly sacked thoroughly sacked by him hmm very interesting uh so, just yeah 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 please continue so, so you know this whole uh, decline of buddhism that happened so basically uh, what we find is that in these two region northwestern india and eastern india particularly parts of bihar and bengal their buddhism survived but in rest of india uh, buddhism uh, did not survive or declined now the reason behind this there were there are you know uh, like there is no single reason behind these uh, these events of course and uh, one one uh, one argument which uh, some scholars have made which i also find uh, to be uh, quite convincing is the fact that uh, 
बुद्धिज्म पर्टिकुलरली द रोल ऑफ बुद्धिज्म पर्टिकुलरली इट्स एसोसिएशन विथ ट्रेड मेंट दैट इन केसेस वेयर यू नो फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल देर वॉज दिस दिस होल मोनेस्ट्री सिस्टम दैट वॉज दैट द बुद्धिस्ट रियली पाइनियड सो यू हैव मठाज सो इन मठाज बुद्धिस्ट मॉन्ग यूज टू लिव एंड दे लिव आउटसाइड द सोसाइटी देर वॉज सम कनेक्शन बट देर वॉज नो नो डायरेक्ट it used to be in the outskirts like today also if you visit the surviving caves or some buddhist caves and monasteries you see that they are the uh, they are they are the outer limits of the city or maybe uh, located atop some valley or some you know under the mountains basically absolutely true that so what happened but in the case of uh, let's say like first of all you know this whole differentiation of buddhism and uh, hinduism so it is also there are some scholars who have questioned the fact that when it comes to you know the common people of uh, india before in ancient and even in medieval period they did not really you know differentiated between this was the buddhist practice and yeah. this was the hindu practice True because that. you know let's say even in our time most people go to gurudwaras most people go to uh, they, they uh, Lord Buddha is considered an a incarnation of uh, Lord, Lord Vishnu. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, there was there was no such distinction like let's say that is present in Christianity and Islam. So right. this whole uh, so first we can question the whole fact that in uh, among the common people there was no such difference between the two traditions. so i think uh, so this uh, distinction between whether there was this you know two tradition and the common people also thought of this distinction so we can uh, you know uh, uh, we can uh, debate about this but uh, so what happens uh, but coming to the point between mon- uh, with monastery is that so monastery was somehow disconnected from the society but when it comes to the uh, the brahmanas who were the priests so they were they lived in within the villages and yeah. they were part of the society right. so first is uh, so first point is this then what we see is that around the 4th century ad there is this migration of brahmanas that is uh, that is happening from uh, from the region of madhyadesh madhyadesh is the region roughly from the uh, from parts of punjab to the region of prayagraj Okay. Uh, so and and uh, above the Narmada, uh, basically the Vindhya Mountains. Vindhya Mountains. So this is yeah. the region of Madhya Madhya Desh. So from there, Brahmanas are migrating to different parts of the country. And we can say the know know this because there are grants that are that the different kingdoms that are giving to Brahmanas so for for them to settle in their territories. so from this we can learn that this uh, so period the period of 400 to 600 700 ad was the period of migration of the brahmanas to this region now what happens is that since uh, these my uh, brahmanas settle in in a particular region and they are part of the society so this allows the spread or you know the spread of uh, puranic hinduism mm-hmm. puranic hinduism you're saying Puranic Hinduism, not uh, because 
again uh, there is this bit distinction between the vedic uh, and puranic so <laughs> you know uh, like the, 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 uh, hindu scriptures do not use this term puranic hinduism or vedic hinduism okay it okay. is the you know uh, this is the term which is hist- which historians have used so uh, i have so i i you know so vedic hinduism and puranic hinduism is distinct in the eyes of historians but uh, uh, when you when you it comes to the uh, the tradition there is yeah. no such distinction okay, so perfect so perfect basically this uh, so what happens is that, so this is happening and also what we find is that one thing which uh, happened during the same period is also the construction of temples and temples what these temples were doing is that first they were uh, they the main one of the main roles which these uh, these temples had is they were constructed for the religious purposes but also because they legitimize the king it's uh, king you know themselves right. so because of this there is this you know pro- the development of temples that is going on throughout the indian subcontinent and there is this migration of the brahmanas that is happening but in the case of buddhism there is no such thing that is going on so mm. because of this we find that you know uh, there is this decline that happens in particularly this uh, the the, uh, the in, uh, indian subcontinent barring uh, eastern india and northwestern india mm-hmm. although i should mention that it is not that you know the pala kings did not uh, did not support uh, 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 hindu is uh, puran hinduism yeah. they were yeah. patrons of Buddh- buddhism and they helped in the construction of stupas and other buddhist monasteries but it is not that you know there was this persecution of buddhism uh, hinduism, hinduism that was well. yeah, yeah. we should also yeah. uh, think, uh, view this true that true that uh, so uh, now you know now now it makes sense that it was a gradual declination which happened to buddhism in indian subcontinent the way it happens usually with the cultures and there was this no force uh you can say uh, i mean there was no factor which kind of uh, or there was no, there was no a character or individual which forced buddhism uh, to go into a decline mode in the whole subcontinent i think also uh, especially in the case of northwest and eastern bengal where you know buddhism had survived so it is the islamic invasion that really you know put an end to buddhism so because you know the your your uh, monasteries uh, your priestly class is uh, is uh, is uh, is placed in a particular uh, place Hmm. so it is easier for uh, anyone who is who want 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 to destroy your religious tradition so if you destroy a monastery there is no uh, monk that is available and uh, if there is no monk uh, the whole tradition literally falls off falls off but okay. in the case of uh, hinduism uh, the 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 decentralized aspect so there are priests that are you know spread throughout the country hmm and there is also this uh, uh, this tradition within uh, so in some tradition there is no actual need of priests right right so so this right. whole complicated structure meant that there was no you know single node that could be destroyed that would lead to the destruction of uh, the entire hinduism as as a as a tradition 
whereas in the case of buddhism monasteries being the center of uh, religious buddhist religious practices meant that if you can destroy these monasteries the whole religious tradition would be you know would likely to fall so that is what happened in northwest and also in the case of eastern india east Hmm, makes makes total sense. Makes total the the centralization and decentralization of uh, the aspect. I have more points to add on this actually, uh, comparing it with the how the Abrahamic uh, cultures are structured. But again, I think that's uh, that's another topic for another day, which we can discuss more. Uh, so uh, so. Again, you know, like thank you so much, Jay, uh, for speaking on this, and this was such an enriching session, and provides such an objective view on this, you know, critical subject. You know, where people actually suffers a lot from the bias on this whole issue, and especially the kind of narrative which we have in some part of academia, and also in the in the in the social uh, sector, uh, in, in 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 the in the in the social milieu of this country, basically, especially when you see the debates on Twitter, <laughs> you know, uh, which are totally void of facts and logic. Uh, so, uh, and that's why I thought, you know, let's have. Uh, I mean, I always wanted to record this, like, what what really happened, because somehow. People are, you know, like either they blame Pushyamitra Shunga or they blame the whole, uh, you know, uh, Brahmins basically for the fall of Buddhism. But again, there are many, many other factors and many layers to it. Why this happened? So also, I, uh, yeah. interestingly, uh, you know, their great Buddhist monks were from the Brahmin community. So we should also <laughs> remember yeah. that, you know, if Brahmins were. Uh, <laughs> were trying to destroy buddhism they would have not joined buddhism joined buddhism no. as well no and uh, another important point i am i'm forgetting which buddhist text uh, tells this about so uh, i saw one very uh, good research video actually i don't know whether you also must have seen it where he proves the point that you know uh, buddhism also actually supported the varna vivastha or you can say the varna system uh, which we had uh, and where buddha in himself supported the varna vivastha basically where he compares uh, uh i i can i can i can get back to you with the name of the text you know you can check it up uh, in your archives where he compares uh, one uh, where he abhorses the practice of uh, intercaste marriages you know and he compares <laughs> and he compares a person who does intercaste marriage to a to to a dog, you know, like <laughs> that kind. Like it's a bit bit out, bit bit. Uh, you can say a he is bit strict on it. Actually, you know, like there should be no intercaste marriage. I mean, he's, he he didn't support it. That uh, I think uh, you know uh, the question of whether the Varna Jati existed in Buddhist tradition is a you know complex debate because. Uh, although there there are evidence, for example, uh, in Buddhist tradition, mm-hmm. uh, it is it is the Kshatriyas who are placed yeah. at the top, yeah. not the Brahmanas. Not the Brahmanas. So, but but what we see is that in the case, so when if you want to join a sangha, mm. there was no such distinction of varna. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that um, way, yeah, you yeah, could yeah. you could say that you know uh, the. Uh, so uh, uh, anyone could join sangha so the, the, so this i think uh, the the whole varnashram dharma mm-hmm. that is the 
the main one of the main uh, point uh, one of the main philosophy or one of the main uh, uh, points of uh, the whole uh, hindu uh, hindu tradition mm. is is to a certain extent was not uh, you know emphasized by the buddhist tradition But. and also in some sense by the jains as well yeah. so uh, you know this i think i would not say that uh, the kind of prominent role that is present of varnashram dharma in the case of hinduism mm-hmm. was not present it is true that uh, uh, this prominent role was not present in buddhists yeah. uh, so you should remember that i think absolutely absolutely though you know i, I will i will share that particular uh, you know uh, video which i saw i mean that that provides uh, text a uh, reference from the text itself where uh, buddha is lamenting about the fact of icm you know intercaste marriages of in those times basically you know again i think also uh, you know uh, when you are analyzing these texts one should also remember that uh, whether these texts are of a later uh, you know period because uh, Mm. to give you an example one of the early buddhist texts so uh, buddha does not have you know good things to say about brahmins so yeah, he okay. calls them uh, you know uh, the recite so there is this uh, whole uh, uh, so uh, but you know the, the point about good things about not saying good things about brahmin was not that he was attacking brahmins itself so he was attacking the whole idea that if you chant mantras nothing will happen so this was the so there is this analogy that is present that is just like you know the gods bark uh, the gods not god sorry dogs yeah. <laughs> just like the dogs you know bark the, the same is uh, happening with these brahmins who are reciting the mantra okay again so, again he is very you know so again i mean this this again holds a view that he is very he is very strict you can see he is very outlandish when he gives certain view on on certain things you know like for example on in this particular case on brahmins and in one particular which i saw in on the on the intercaste marriages again i'll share that uh, thing with you you can of course check it up with your sources as well because that is very interesting actually you know all right because also we have to remember that some of the buddhist texts are from the later period so it could be that mm-hmm. you know uh, interpolation like, uh, in in most uh, 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 time what happens is that if you are you know using a particular fact and uh, you cannot use this uh, so uh, the more evidence you have then you can support a whole theory so in my view i think even if there is this text that talks about the intercaste marriage that is hap- uh, that buddha you know uh, does not like this mm-hmm. practice in my view uh, it does not suggest that uh, you know uh, buddha did not uh, you know uh, did not uh, like the idea of not having any varna or caste system because yeah, yeah, yeah. the fact that you know in in a sangha which is the most important uh, organization for him he is saying that one can any varna can join in this sangha and those who join the sangha are regarded as equals hmm. so even if let's say he is you know criticizing uh, intercaste or intervarna marriage mm. on the on the same time you have to look at the fact that in the sangha any varna can join even even in the case of slave we are told that if the slave has taken permission from his master 
and his master has allowed him he can join the sangha sangha so in a sense that you know this whole buddhist uh, the whole idea of buddhism and even jain so they are uh, not necessarily inclined towards the varnashram dharma that i think is quite clear when you look at uh, the 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 whole picture as a whole understood understood sure but again i ha- i have an itch so i'll definitely share that thing with you uh, do check it up do check it up and you know, like take up we can talk about it uh, so again uh, thank you so much jay this has been a very enlightening session and in fact you know uh, very much enriching session to understand as to how the follow buddhism happened and uh, the, the the last part you know which we spoken about uh, buddha so uh, you know I really wish that we'll we'll be doing more session uh, in future on history because that's again uh, I, I, I'm very much passionate about history as well. So currently I'm reading you know books on Maratha history written by great Uday Kulkarni, uh, a very great objective historian which came out with the whole Peshwai period. So and there are other books as well which I'm yet to read. So again I, uh, I'm a person who have. was very much passionate about though of course it's not my subject but again during school times i used to be i used to like the subject a lot uh so i re- i do hope that you will come come in for more sessions and uh, hope our listeners would have, would have gained uh the incisive knowledge and the important uh, uh knowledge on this particular subject from you so uh, thank you so much and thank you listeners for listening out this to this episode uh, we'll be soon again coming up with another round of discussion soon uh, till that time please stay t- uh, stay tuned and subscribe to vidurga watch podcast on uh, spotify and google podcast uh, thank you and namaste mm-hmm.